Ashley Brock, reading Diana Palmer's book, Heart of Stone, Chapter 8. Keely couldn't imagine Keely couldn't manage a single word. Room caught her hand and tugged her into the community center with him. Should I ask where Clark is? She felt as if her feet weren't quite on the floor. No need. I didn't see your car. That's because I didn't drive it here. I bought one of the trucks and parked it out back. I doubt Clark even noticed. He didn't. She looked around. Is Woody here? He hesitated. No. She stopped walking so that he had to stop too. Looked down at her appreciatively, his dark eyes lingering on the way the emerald green dress fit her slender pretty body. Green suits you, he missed. When he didn't come, she dropped. Kilribbon said he wasn't coming here, but she said it was useless to let men she didn't even like parade around the dance floor. She cocked her head and looked up at him. Maybe she has a point. She <laughs> lifted an eyebrow and looked with it. Look with it. Maybe she does. She felt suddenly uneasy. She looked around again for Misty this time. Who's not here? Splash, she looked back up at his news eye. I came alone, he told her. I mentioned that I wasn't buying diamonds for a casual date, and she took offense. I heard. Oh? Was Clark impressed? Yes, but don't count it on lasting any length of time. She had, once he's alone with her, he'll forget everything he said. No doubt. He curses it. Do you dance, Miss Welsh? Her heart skipped at the way he said it. He had no date any come anyway, and he was looking at her as if he could eat her. That was thrilling, even if she couldn't hope for anything more. I do, she replied. She sounded breathless. Took the fox stolen purse and laid them on a the table next to where Caghart and his wife Tess were sitting. Do you mind watching them? Yes, Tesper. Not if I get a try on that stone. Help yourself, Keely invented, invited with a great big grin. Tess wound it around her neck and struck a pose. She batted her eyelids at her husband, her blue, her blue eyes twinkling in her frame of red hair. I'm not dying. I'm not buying you a dead fox. Cag informed her hotly. Keely recalled that Cag had watched the pig movie and gave up eating pork. She wondered if he'd recently seen any other animated films. Tess looked up again. Where was this fox hound movie? Boy, stop. Cag muttered, looking off his left. I like animals. <laughs> Tess bent over and kissed him. So do you, Bob. So do I. But this animal has probably been deceased for a number of years. <laughs> he burst out laughing and kissed her back. Boom tugged Keely toward the dance floor. He slid one arm around her waist and pulled her closer. He's in his fingers in between hers. She stumbled with nerves as he propelled her expertly into the slow rhythm and laughed deep in his throat. She felt like a fox, running for cover. Her heart was racing. Her breath was stuck somewhere south of her windpipe. She barely noticed the music. She was too aware of Boone's powerful body against hers. The scent of his breath, the smell of his cologne. He made her feel weak and shaky all over. His hands spread across against her back over the soft velvet. I like this dress, he murmured at her forehead. It's very pretty, she began. I like the way it feels, he corrected. She laughed nervously. Oh, he nuzzled her cheek so that she lifted her eyes to his. Nineteen years old, he said quietly, studying her. He looked guilty. She thought, you know, age isn't everything. You trot out that tired old line about her being a mileage, she threatened softly. It's true, though, she replied. 
smoothed his fingers in between hers as they moved lazily to the music. You heard from your father, haven't you? He asked suddenly. She jerked in his arms. You know, I thought so. You've been jumpy since you walked in the door. She felt miserable when she remembered what her mother had said about Haynes Carson's brother. She would carry the guilt for her parents' actions until she died, and Haynes was trying to look out for her, not knowing the truth. Come here. He stopped dancing, caught her hand, and led her out to the side door onto the dark patio where only a strip of light from the room inside showed on the stones of the floor. Tell me what's worrying you, he coaxed. She leaned her forehead against his chest. If only she could, but Haynes was his friend. It was Jack who called. He made threats. My father wants Mama to sell the house and give him the money. She said heavenly, he's got something on her, something he can use. If she doesn't do it, she's afraid of him. What does he have on her? She groaned softly. I don't know. He told her to Yes, you do, kid. He argued, searching her eyes in the dim light from the patio windows inside. Her eyes were tormented. I can't tell you, she said that. It isn't my secret. His fingers caressed her chin. You can tell me anything. His set, he said, his voice deep and soft and seductive. Anything. He made her want to tell him. He was powerful and attractive. He made her blood run hot through her veins. She wanted to kiss him until the aching stopped. She couldn't tell him that, of course. She didn't have to, Boone read the subtle signs of her body and her breathing and drew a conclusion slowly so that he didn't frighten her, went toward her mouth. I should be shot, he whispered. His breath tasted of coffee, the exquisite fill of his flesh against his flesh in such an intimate way, made Keeley's head spin. She'd rarely been kissed at all and never like this. His skill was apparent, but he seemed to lose control just a little as the kiss lengthened. His mouth grew quickly hungry. His arms contracted and reverted her to the length of his body, bending her into his hard contours. She stiffened helplessly at the intimacy to which he was completely unaccustomed. Boone lifted his head, surprised by her posture, by her reaction. She responded as if she'd never been held and kissed in her life, as if the depend demanding the door of an adult man was unknown to her, or perhaps it was, considered what he knew of her liking when he made comments. Let him move back just a step, but he didn't let her go. It's all right, he said softly, smiling. He framed her face in his big hands and held it where he wanted it. Some gently pulled down her lower lip as he bent again. All we have to fear, he quoted amusingly, is fear itself. It was different this time. He didn't demand to tease her lips, brushing them in brief little caresses that made her want, a more, want more. Sam smoothed back her hair. They moved down her back to the curve of her hips and coaxed her closer. She shivered at the contact, and for an instant his mouth became demanding, but when she stiffened, he relented it at once. It's like a silent duel, she thought. Fascinating. He advanced it, and when she hesitated, he withdrew. It was all. It was as if he knew the difficulty, she felt, as if he was aware of how new and frightening these sensations were to her. He calmed her, coaxed her, until she began to relax and stop fighting the slow setting crush of his mouth. That's it, he whispered when she sank gently against him. Just don't fight it. Don't fight me. I won't hurt you. She knew that, but it was still difficult to give herself over to someone who didn't know about her past. She was terror not 
terrified, not of his exploring hands, but what he might find if he persisted. So when she felt his fingertips teasing just around the edge of her breast, she jumped and pulled back. She expected an explosion. Once, just once, she'd given it the temptation in her adult years and agreed to go out with a salesman who came through town. He grabbed her in the car and she jerked away from him. He'd been furious, snapping at how at her about girls who teased, and then he forcefully run his hand over her shoulder and her breast. She could never forget the look of utter horror in his face, pushed her away from him, took her home without a single word. He hadn't even looked at her when she got out of the car. wasn't as bad as the date she had at the tender age of 16. That had ended in such trauma. It was bad enough. That was the last time she ever gone out with a man on a date. But Boone wasn't angry. In fact, he looked pleased rather than offended at her lack of response. He withdrew his hand and traced her swollen lips with it. Well, he explained softly and smiled. She was like, you aren't mad? She was a Remagen's knee gentle handle, and he whispered and meant to kiss her tenderly when she blossomed. When he drew back, his expression was sullen and gentle, smoothed over her hair, touched her cheek, her mouth, and she, when are you going to be 20? He asked after a Christmas Eve, she stammered. Christmas Eve, in four months. Kissed her eyelids closed, smiling at her. Love to do something very special for your birthday. We? Oh, you mean when Ian Clark came He lifted his head and searched her eyes. Why wouldn't you think I meant just you and me? <laughs> he cleared. There's Misty, she reminded him. He frowned as if he didn't know who she was talking about. The magic seemed to slip away. He withdrew his hand and became a little Misty, he repeated. The magic drained out of the night. He became a distant stranger, the aloof man of the past. At that moment, he looked as if he never considered catching Keely. Dropped her arms around herself against the chill that didn't come from the night. It's getting cool, she said, trying to sound nonchalant. Yes, it is. Moved away from her, deep in thought, he paused to open the door for her. She went through it without looking up. She said nothing. He said nothing. She went to the reference refreshment table and got a small cup of soda, sat down with it over against the wall. She watched Boone stop at a group of cattlemen and stand talk, started stand talking to them. Her eyes started around to see if Clark had returned. When she glanced toward the group of cattlemen again, Boone was gone. She didn't see him again. Clark picked her up. He looked disheveled and out of sorts. The pearls were the wrong color, he said dejectedly. She wanted pink ones. I got gray ones. I'm sorry, he glanced at her voice. I hated leaving you there alone, he confessed. I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. It was all right, she said. I like the music. You're the nicest friend I've ever had, he said after a minute. But you shouldn't let me take advantage of you like this. She like, okay. He gave her a rakish grin. Good girl. What's our next project? He said, I really don't know. I'll let you know when she decides if she wants to see me again. She will. She said we can make We'll see. Dr. Rattle was raising more hell than usual when Keely went into work the next morning. I told you to record that low-fat dog food last week. He was raging at the newest clerk, Antonio. But I did, Dr. Rattle, she said in her tears. They had it on pack order, he made a bruise on. And I suppose the urn containing Mrs. Randolph's old cat is also on back order. He had sarcastically. Antonio was read by this time. No, sir, I forgot to check on it. It is all. I'm sorry, she had a quick look. Didn't make any difference. He stood in front of her and glared. She burst into tears and ran into the back.
Oh, nice job, Doctor, his colleague, Dr. Patsy King, muttered. She'll quit and we'll have to break in yet another clerk. How many is that so far this year? Let me think. Six, isn't it? She added with as much sarcasm as she could muster. Bentley glared at her. Four. Oh, only four, she rose. That makes me feel better. Don't you have a patient waiting, Dr. King? He drawled, eyes flashing. She said, yes, I do, thank God. But I came out here to get our clerk to schedule her next appointment. I suppose I'll be doing that myself. She looked portly toward the back where Antonio was out of blue, sighing. He cursed. She made a oh, like that's going to help, she grumbled. She sat down in Antonio's chair and used the computer to schedule the next visit for her patient. While she was at it, she added up the charges and printed out a sheet list. Them. I could help you do that, Keely offered. No, you could not, Dr. Rommel. I need you to help with examinations, not making appointments. Speaking of which, Keely, could you carry this dog out to Mr. Reynolds' car for her? Dr. King asked and smiled gently. Of course, Keely answered at once and walked off with Dr. King, leaving a fuming Dr. Rydell behind. After that morning, it was open war between the two senior veterinarians in the practice. Dr. King was three years younger than Dr. Ryle. Ryle, married with two children, and she needed her job, but she threatened to leave if he didn't stop using the clerk for target practice. Keely and the senior vet tech and the other veterinarian, Dr. Dave Mercer, tried to keep out of Dr. Ryle's way until his temper improved. Nobody knew what had set him off, but he was like a prize fighter walking down the street wearing boxing gloves. He was spoiling for a fight. It was a relief for Keeley when the work week was over and she could get away from the tension. She was still mooning over Boone and reliving the tender kisses he shared with her on the patio of the community center. She didn't understand his behavior at all. Everything had been fine until she mentioned Misty. Then he withdrew as if he felt guilty about touching Keeley. He left the dance rather than risk having to talk to her again. Worse, people were gossiping about the two of them. Tess Hart had teased her about going out onto the patio with Boone and coming back inside flush. She mentioned it to Cag, probably he told his brothers and they told other people. So Keeley got teased when she went to the grocery store because one of the checkout girls had a boyfriend on the Hart Ranch properties. Then she got teased at the bank because one of the tellers were married to Cag Hart's livestock foreman. That teller's married daughter worked as the 911 center with Winnie. You and Boone are the talk of the town, did you know? When he teased her friend when they had lunch together at Barber's Cafe that Saturday. Boone's going to kill me, Keeley said misery. Clark's probably going to Clark's probably going to want to kill me, too, when he realizes that Boone knows what he's up to. Well, Boone always knows when he said easily. Clark can never hide anything from him or from me. But just between us two, I don't think this Nellie thing is going to be very, is going very much further. She got mad because Clark gave her the wrong color of pearls. That, after he's given her most of a jewelry store? Shooting for It turns out that she's married. What? Keely went. Does Clark know? That and more. When he said, when I left home, Boone was presenting our brother with a thick file on Miss Nellie Summers. He said Clark wasn't leaving the house until he read every sort of detail. Poor Clark. When he chuckled, he was cussing mad after he read the first page. He said he wouldn't have believed it even two weeks ago, but apparently Boone picked just the right time to tell him the truth. I'm glad, she confessed. It was putting me right in the middle, being used as Clark's cover. Clark shouldn't have done that. Boone was angry. Said Clark had no right to use you that way. Clark's my friend. I could have said no, Keeley said softly. 
You never say no to anyone when you're talking to her. You're too good to people, Keely. You won't stand up for yourself. I'm trying. Clark walks all over you, so does Boom. I bet Dr. Rydell does too. Dr. Rydell walks over everybody, Keely pointed out. Well, you do have a point there. She sipped coffee and then her eyes were twinkle. So, what was going on with you and my brother at the dance? Not you too, Keely. Well, I'm your best friend. You have to tell me. Keely put on her best bland expression. He wanted to talk to me about Clark without everybody eavesdropping when he's facing. Was that all? What else would there be? Keely replied. You know Boo can't stand me. Usually ignores me. But he knew Clark was up to something and that I was hoping it. He got it out of me. He's good at that when he had to admit. They used to let him interrogate people when he was in the military. Boo Boo popped up. He's changed so much since he came back from overseas. He used to be a happy sort of person. He's not happy now, sure. He goes out with Misty, but he never touches her. Keely's heart gone. How do you know? <laughs> he picks up. He never picks up anything, she said with affection. He just leaves his clothes lying around in his room. I gather them up and put them in the hamper for Mrs. Jo Johnson. There are never any lipstick stains on his shirts. She paused her lips for well, that's not quite true. Last Saturday night, there were quite a few lipstick stains on his collar. Keely's face flamed when he laughed triumphantly. Keely knew that when he would go straight to Boone and tease him if she guessed what had happened, she couldn't let her friend know for sure. Boone were teased about Keely at home. It would be all over before it had time to begin. No wonder he's been like a scolded cat snake all week when he was watching Keely closely. He hasn't even called Misty. Odd, isn't it? Just slow down, if you please. I danced with him, Keely Mama. Of course I got lipstick on his collar. When he's happy, mood's slowly green away. Are you sure that's all? Keely gave her friend a speaking look. Boone can't stand me. He just trying to find out why Clark and I had gone to a dance and Clark was missing. Oh, fish and chips, what he muttered. Excuse me? Where is it? Good lord, I'm catching Haynes Carsonitis. She's like, what? Haynes Carson doesn't curse like a normal man. He says things like crackers and milk and fish and chips rubs off on you when you're around him. What are you doing hobnobbing with Haynes Carson? Keely asked on the radio. Oh, right. It's not bad looking when he moves. And he's much friendlier than Killraven. I should really set my cap at him. He'd break Kill Raven's heart, cuties. When he wriggled her nose, like he'd notice if I flirted with another man, she said to her, He's trying Boone's tactics. He's ignoring me. He probably's just busy. When he told with her napkin, Men are not worth the trouble they cause, she said irritably. Keely laughed, No, she read they aren't. And don't we both lie well? When he retorted, Keely nodded. The little cafe was crowded from a Saturday, mostly with tourists trying to enjoy the last feeding days of August. Jacobsville had an annual rodeo that drew crowds because it attracted some of the stars of the circuit. The prize money wasn't bad either. There are a lot of cars without a state tag, you remember. I guess it's the rodeo that draws them in. I was just thinking about the radio, Keely chuckled. Great minds running in the same direction. Exactly. I think when his voice broke off, she was staring at the front door helplessly. Keely glanced toward the entrance. Kilraven, still in uniform, was standing just inside the door. He really was hunky. Keely thought tall, handsome, and elegant with silver eyes and thick black hair. He was muscular without it being blatant. <clears throat> 
Excuse me. He called him a deep boy. Is anyone here driving a red SUV with Oklahoma plates? A young man in jeans and a Canberra shirt raised his hand. Yes, I am. You called anything wrong, officer? Cooper waved and walked to his table, spotted one in a keely and nodded politely before he stood up with me. Did you pick up a deer from the side of the road, sir? He asked. The young man laughed. Yes, I did. It was just killed by a car, I think, because it was still warm and limp when I picked it up. Smile faded. I was only going to take it home and cut it up from my freezer. Did I do something wrong? Kill Raven clears her. You might want to call your insurance agent. The young man looked blank. Why? The deer wasn't dead. Wasn't dead, he nodded, and it left the vehicle red and rather suddenly through your windshield. The young man was still nodding. Through the windshield? He said, through my windshield? That's my brand new truck. Ah! He jumped up. We were balancing his chair so that it fell. He almost trampled a couple getting out of the door. His scream of dismay could be heard even when the door closed. Kilgrave shook his head as he paused beside Wayne. The deer was just stunned. He said with faint amusement in his silver eyes. We had a man make that same mistake about six months ago during hunting season. But fortunately for him, the deer came to before he could lift it into his truck. Outside the cafe, the screams were getting louder. Kilgrave glanced outside and chuckled. He'll want to report for his insurance agency. I better go write him up. Have they found McCready yet? When he asked with a draw on a grin. Hill Raven groaned. He serviced over in Baxter County about five yesterday afternoon, trailing 40 cars in a funeral progression. They were stopped to be. They were supposed to be headed for a cemetery in Commercial Wells, where they were due at 3 o'clock. He added, because Keeley was looking puzzled. He did finally get them to the right church after several cars stopped to get gas. That's twice this month. They should never let McCready lead a funeral procession when he pointed out. Kilbraven showed me. I told Haynes Carson the same thing, but he says McCready will never learn self-confidence if he pulls him off public service details now. Doesn't he have a map? Keely wanted to know. If he does, he can't he ever find it. Kilbraven said with a sigh. We led the last funeral progression down into a bog near the river, and hers got stuck. He left. It's funny now, but nobody was laughing at the time. They had to get tow trucks to haul everybody out. Haynes <laughs> should cut his losses and put McCready on administrative duty. Big mistake. Haynes put him in charge of the jail month before last, and he let a prisoner out to use the bathroom. Forgot to lock him up again. The prisoner robbed a bank while he was temporarily liberated. <laughs> he said, I don't think McCready's cut out for current law enforcement. Yes, but his father does, really. <laughs> when he reminded him, his father was a career state trooper. Kilraven told Keeley. insisted that his son was to follow in his footsteps. Haynes Carson is our sheriff, Keeley said confused. McCready's the sheriff's deputy. Yes, well... Yes, well, McCready started out working as a state trooper when he began kill Raven was chuckling again. And then he pulled over an undercover drug unit in their van just as they were speeding up to stop a huge shipment of cocaine. They'd been working the case for weeks. The drug dealers got away while McCready was citing the drug agents for a burned-out taillight. McCready's dad had managed to save him from the guys in the drug unit, but he was invited to trap his trap somewhere else. <laughs> So Haynes Carson got him when he continued. Haynes is his second cousin. <laughs> Sheriff Carson could have said no, Keeley replied. You don't say no to McCready's father, Kilraven retorted. 
At least he's learning all the back roads, Rennie said philosophically. Kill Raven grinned at her. The look lasted just a second too long to be conventional, and when he delected skin turned onto a pretty bush. Where's my rifle? came a bell from the parking lot. Someone stole my rifle. Kill Raven glanced out the window. The young fellow who owned the red SUV was running down the street with a rifle. The general direction that the escape deer had gone. The gun's owner was jumping up and down in rage and yelling threats after the deer hunter. I better go save the deer hunter, Kill Raven remarked. I hope he has an understanding insurance agent, Killing Moose. And a good lawyer. Stealing rifles is a felony. Kilrafe nodded at them and went striding out the door. Well, Keely teased after, and you don't think he likes you? Winnie's expression was so joyful that Keely envied her. End of chapter 8.